Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. Today, it is time to recap Carolina's 21-17 loss to the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, the second straight season that Carolina has fallen to the Yellow Jackets in stunning fashion. We'll try to figure out what all went wrong, where this loss ranks all time, where Carolina goes from here, all that kind of stuff. We also have an update on the status of Antoine Green, as well as John Copenhaver, who kind of slipped under the radar but missed the game on Saturday. And also, a weird situation happening at uh, the previous stop for Phil Longo It looks like Lane Kiffin could possibly be gone. What would that possibly mean for Phil Longo? We'll touch on that just really quickly, especially uh, since there is nothing officially confirmed on that. But let's, let's talk about a game that I don't think anybody could have possibly seen coming between Carolina and Georgia Tech for the second straight year. This was a game last year heading in. We felt like Carolina was going to be able to win pretty easily. They get blown out in Atlanta this year, a game that Carolina felt was probably going to be a pretty good one to get them prepared for uh, NC State. But the way that Carolina had played throughout the the rest of the season, uh, the, the fact that they clinched the ACC Coastal last week sort of set this up as a trap game. Um, But it was one that a lot of people, I think, build kind of correctly as a maturity game for Carolina. This would show how mature this team was, um, and they failed, and they failed badly. Uh, Carolina led 17-0 before, uh, just before halftime. Actually, you know, a game, a a play that kind of changed the game. Carolina up, you know, 17-0, chance to get the ball back. Uh, right before halftime, they call timeout on a third and four. 
with 224 to go in the first half. Georgia Tech comes out and converts that, and Carolina sort of falls apart. A couple of communication breakdowns on that drive leads to a touchdown. And from there, Carolina was never able to turn things back in their favor. The offense completely shut down. It was struggling even before that, but it completely shut down after that. Georgia Tech scores 21 straight, and Carolina suffers a second straight loss to a Georgia Tech team that is being coached currently by an interim coach. Last year, uh, headed into the game against Carolina pretty much with Jeff Collins already on the hot seat, there was a chance that probably if they lost that game, Jeff Collins was going to be fired uh, a season earlier than he actually was. And once again, Carolina just left scratching their head with another loss that frankly makes absolutely no sense uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, the, it's one of the rare times uh, in my podcasting, blogging, radio career I've hated being right. But for the last three to four weeks, I came on here and told you guys, while you got a great quarterback and we have a, a, a record that looks good on paper, it was inflated. And it wasn't the best reflection of what this team really was. And that made a lot of people upset, including, uh, you know, and it led to me being called a lot of different names, including a fat ass. But uh, <laughs> ultimately, that was that's what Saturday proved was that that Carolina and look, they're still going to go and have a chance to win a conference championship. And so while this this season doesn't derail what everything you've accomplished so far. But this is why I had to push back on the notion that this team was a legitimate threat to make the college football playoff. It's why I never got upset with their rankings because they weren't beating bad football teams the way they should beat bad football teams. And at some point when you're asking a 19-year-old kid to to win you every game, at some point that 19-year-old kid's not going to have it. And that's what happened on Saturday for the first time all year long. Drake may look like a redshirt freshman playing major one college football with a lot of pressure on him. A lot of it was, you know, you got to credit Georgia Tech. Uh, I thought their defensive line, the way they stunted up front, really gave our offensive line a lot of fits. Uh, but this was a team that was distracted. Frankly, this was a program that was distracted. They spent the whole week campaigning and pushing for Drake May to be a Heisman contender, which – to be fair, he was, but that became the focus, not 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 winning football games. And like Mac Brown told his team in the middle of the week, the folk, you know, to to win the Heisman, it's a team award because it's a great player on a great team. We're trying to get to that. And Saturday night, they had a chance to maybe solidify his positioning to go to New York. And you know, he he still may wind up at that Heisman Trophy ceremony, but after what he did at home against a bad Georgia Tech team, that went out the window. And, you know, the last time I left a, a place that quiet, it was after I disappointed a woman. But there were 50,000 wow. Toledo fans that, that walked out of Keenan Stadium on Saturday night completely befuddled and disappointed in the effort they saw on that field. Well, I want to clean one thing up. I was not the person that called you a fat ass. That was somebody else. Um, I have called you that multiple times, but that was not in relation to this. Um, now, I mean, 
It's yeah. I mean, everything you said there is is pretty much spot on. Um, we we said you know the recipe of having to rely on Drake May over and over again. And look, I've seen some people that are pretty much just completely casting this dude off and saying, "Well, now we see what he really is." That is not even that. There is no chance that that he will play a game that bad for me. The at least the rest of the season. But I would be shocked if he plays one that bad the rest of his career. Um, that that was just a it was just an off night. And guess what? We've seen other guys that have had off nights. Did did we just forget the opening game of the season for C.J. Stroud? The game, and I get it in in weather in the the conditions that he had to deal with against Northwestern. But he didn't look great in that game either. And there are a lot of other guys throughout college football that have had games like that. Sam Howell had games like that as well. Um, it's just part of it. There are times where teams can figure you out. And the other night, look, it, it wasn't just him. He got absolutely no help. I don't really know how much of the blame you can honestly put on him. He certainly missed some throws. There's no doubt about it. But, yeah, you're right. Um, I don't think he will go to New York. Um, I don't think it's because he doesn't deserve to. I think that they were looking for any excuse not to send him to New York. And now this will be their chance to say, yeah, we're not sending him. We're going to send, I, I know who they're going to send, depending on how, if Blake Corum is healthy. They will send C.J. Stroud, Blake Corum, and Caleb Williams. Those will be your three that will be there. And they will say Drake Majors, that game against Georgia Tech showed us everything we needed to see. Uh, that he is not a guy worthy of being in in the running for that, which I think is ridiculous, but it is what it is. Um, but as I mentioned, it, it was it was a whole effort. It was a team effort offensively. I I, I don't think anybody could have seen that coming. Uh, I mean, look, an off night for this offense, we thought was maybe they score 24, 28 points. I don't think anybody thought that we would see an offense that simply could not move the ball at all after halftime. Um, they had 365 yards of total offense. And keep in mind that 80 of those yards came on the first play of the game. That It's, I mean, just stunning that this team looked as inept as it did. Drake made 215 yards of total offense, the lowest of the season easily, and no touchdowns. That's the first time in a game this season that he has had zero touchdowns. It's actually the first time that he has had less than two touchdowns in a game so far this season. He has just been that good. Josh Downs, we talked about how dominant he had been over these la th th this last stretch of games. Three catches, 31 yards, had two drops, including the biggest one of the game uh, that – could have saved, could have potentially saved it all. I'm not willing to say, as some people were saying, that that cost Carolina the game because we still don't know what this defense does against a, a team that was moving the ball better, better on on our defense than we were moving it on their defense. So it, it's, I, I think that was one of the biggest things that we saw the other night was that. Carolina's two stars really struggled, and it was the worst possible night for that to happen. Yeah, um, you know, for Josh Downs to be the type of guy we we know him to be, 
you made a campaign for him last week to make an all to be an all American. All Americans make the play that he didn't make uh, in the fourth quarter, and I thought that was just the best way to really, to really, you know, I guess put a bow on what was a bad offensive performance, and it was something that up to this point we thought this offense was immune to. I thought and we've praised Phil Longo for the majority of the season, and rightfully so. Um, this was one of this was what this was another game plan that didn't make the most of sense and Carolina just could never find itself in a rhythm. And I'll echo the the words that Mac Brown said. The worst thing they did was they scored the first the first offensive play. Yep. Because they got it in their head against a four and six football team, it was gonna be easy. Well the thing about that four and six football team is that they've got an interim head coach that they're believing in what he's telling them. And and they 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 never got down. They never got discouraged. And uh, it 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 just completely, it just completely befuddled Carolina. I don't know if Carolina has played a a a, a team that played with so much emotion like we saw on Saturday. And I I don't think you saw that from App State. I don't think you saw that even from a Notre Dame team that came into Chapel Hill desperate from a win. That Georgia Tech team played with with some stuff that. We were saying they were going to play with with Jeff Collins, and it never came to fruition. And so it was, it was really struggling for for Josh Downs. And I think the thing is, is that you know for some reason there was worry about Antoine Green not being on the field, yeah, and how it was going to impact this this offense. But I mean, I really believed in the guys that had stepped up early in the season: the Kobe Pesors, the Gavin Blackwells, the JJ Jones of the world. And you you factor those guys in with the tight ends, given Josh Downs' recent play of late, that Carolina's passing game was going to do what it did, which was march up and down the field and help put a lot of points up on the board. But it was very evident that uh, not having that deep threat for for Drake May to, to, to try to throw the football down the field, it really took a lot away from Carolina's offense, a running game that, Outside of the, the the first run of the, the the game, and then another long run where it was called back for a BS holding, had nothing up front. This offense, just in every in every facet of the game on Saturday night, was out of rhythm. Well, that's yeah. I I, I thought the receivers, yeah, they struggled to create separation all night. I mean, again, one of the other big plays. Yet Gavin Blackwell, second drive of the game, catches the big play down the middle for forty yards. That was that was his biggest play of the night. I mean, he had another catch where he did a good job of freeing himself up and 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 getting some yards after the catch, but he just couldn't create consistent separation. JJ Jones just has I mean, he just has not been the same guy since Antoine Green came back. Um it just has not been there early in the season. He was the guy that was the deep threat and you would hit him once or twice a game, but that just isn't there right now. Um, and in terms of Kobe Pesor, it's hard to get him on the field because he is pretty much bound to the slot. They they have to use him in the slot. So the only time he's out there is when Josh Downs is off the field. And, I mean, look, the way Josh Downs has played all season long, there was no reason to take him off the field. Uh, even the other night, you weren't going to take him off the field because he gave you the best chance to win the game. Bryson Nesbitt, look, four catches, 85 yards were great, but he had a key drop. And, I, I, I mean – it just 
that it was it was an off night for them. It looked a lot like what we saw at times last year from that unit. If they were able to to somehow take away Josh Downs, or if Josh Downs was struggling, then the receivers outside of him really couldn't do much. And that was that was what hurt this team a year ago. The running game, yeah, you mentioned it. I thought, you know, Elijah Green breaks off that big run, should have had another one, and we'll talk about that call. Uh, that's about as bad as it gets. And, I, I, I mean, there's just no way around it. But in terms of the overall performance, I mean, outside of that run, that 80-yard that run, uh, the plays that counted, he had 12 yards on nine on uh, on nine carries. So, and, and then the other guys. I the one thing I didn't understand: how did we not see more of Amari and Hampton after the drive that he had? He had five carries for 35 yards on one drive, and we didn't see him the rest of the night. I, I don't, I I don't understand that. I don't really understand what the backfield rotation is right now. I mean, look, Elijah Green did some really good things against Virginia, and I think that he should be involved in what Carolina does. But I don't think that he is the only guy that should be involved. When you had the type of drive that Amari and Hampton had, let's put him back out there. Let's see what what he can do. Um, And ultimately, I mean, I kind of agree with some of the people that I saw on social media. And, you know, I'll ask you this question. Do you think that they should have run the ball more? Do you think that they were trying to force things with Drake May? Because, I mean, look, I, they weren't great running the football, but that was a hell of a lot more effective for the majority of the night than when they dropped back to pass. I think, you know, probably on the surface, yeah, if you go back, you probably you probably wanted to to maybe see them run the ball more. The thing is, is that, you know, we've been in the stands for the last, you know, three of the four years, given the COVID year, we weren't in the stands. And for a lot of times, we would want Phil Longo to run the ball more. And that was with Sam Howell, a guy that we love and respect as much as any Tar Heel that's ever come through the program. But Drake, like, there's just this, there's just this trust factor mm-hmm. to where as good as Sam was, there was times he wasn't always the best player on the field for you. There were times that Deami Brown, Daz Newsom, Michael Carter, Javante Williams, those guys were your best player. Get the ball to them. Drake is Carolina's best player. And so you trust that guy to make the right plays. And, and, and so, you know, I mean, sure, if you go back in certain situations, yeah, maybe you run the ball. But for overall, I, I think they were just at a different trust level with Drake because of what he's done and and what he's going to bounce back and do this Friday against NC State that you could see why they were they were still committed and trusted him because you figured at some point it was going to click, he was going to make the big throw, and then that offense was going to get rolling again. Yeah, I, I look, I agree with that too. I think, and, and that's even when we were sitting in the stands, I think we were all thinking the same thing. That hey man, we're we're talking about a guy that's in the Heisman Trophy race. This dude has proven to us all year, and especially with what he has done late in games, to take the football out of his hand would would have been a little nuts. But yeah, on, on in hindsight, you probably should have run the ball a little bit more. Um, I think the biggest thing when you talk about the offensive performance the other night, 
it, it goes back to this offensive line. And and look, even with the performance the other night, this offensive line is still so much better than last year's offensive line. But the other night, that that looked like that's this is the first time all year where I've sat there and said to myself, man, that looked like that looked a lot like last year's group. They allow six sacks. 12 tackles for loss, both season highs. And I, I mean, that there was never a moment in that game where it looked like Drake May was comfortable in the pocket. He was always under pressure. You were right. Georgia Tech did some great things up front, but Carolina made no adjustments. And it's just, I, I didn't think, I mean, look, there were some times where maybe Drake could have tried to throw one to the sidelines. I just think, I mean, the pressure was almost immediately in his face. And if he would have tried to throw one away, he could have thrown a bad interception. It was just a all-around terrible performance, even in the run game. They're, most of the night, they, I mean, that was one of the reasons I thought that they couldn't run the ball as effectively as as, as they probably wanted to or more, than, or more times than they did. And they got behind the sticks way too many times, even running the football. There were times guys would just get absolutely blown up. Running back gets dropped. I mean, you had the one where Elijah Green got stripped, and all of a sudden you're in second and 19, second and 20. Like, it, it just it happened so many times the other night. And this offensive line, they, they've held up for the majority of the season. But to me, it's starting to look like they are wearing down as the season has has gone along. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, the, our, my, our biggest problem the last couple of years was that it was a direct reflection of, of piss-poor coaching. That wasn't the case the other night. I mean, Jack, Jack McNeil did not let his offensive line go to the end zone when the fourth quarter started because he was giving them an earful. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to make adjustments, but they weren't there. And for some reason, that delayed, you know, shift at the line of scrimmage that would lead to a stunt just it 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 it, it really took away Carolina's communication and they weren't passing off when they were passing off and it allowed your quarterback to look like a penguin from happy feet. Because Drake May was sitting back there and he was patty caking that football. And every time he threw, it was like he was kind of just throwing off his back foot or aiming his throw. He wasn't stepping into to any throws or anything. And it was it was really frustrating because they've played better defensive lines than they saw on Saturday. And they yep. did a they did a good job and 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 had some success. They're gonna see the best defensive line they've seen since Notre Dame this coming Friday, maybe all season long, and it's going to be really hard to trust that they're going to be able to hold their own in the run game, let alone in pass pro. And so I think that's got to be something where, I mean, coaching played a part into it to a certain degree, but those five guys, William Barnes, Spencer Rollins, you know, in particular, they've got to look themselves in the mirror and say, I've got to be better at what I do because what they did the other night wasn't good enough. Yeah, and look, credit has to be given to some of these dudes up front for Georgia Tech. Dude, Keon White, 
that that dude absolutely balled out, and he's had a good season for them. I don't think he's a guy that should have been able to take over the game like that, but he he's he's a good player. Uh, but you're right. Look, man, they got to bounce back. I mean, State's a team that I mean they have a ton of tackles for loss, not a lot of sacks. It, it's they're kind of a weird team in that sense. But yeah, that's a team that's going to bring some physicality this this group's way. And you're right. The biggest concern that I have right now is that right side of the offensive line. It's it's not helping that Awesome Richards has had two of the worst games of the season uh, from his standpoint in the last three weeks. Uh, but still, the majority of the issues right now are on the right side of that line where Spencer Rollin and William Barnes, they've just worn down. They've worn down, and you're starting to see that Carolina's got to find a little more talent and definitely a little more depth on that offensive line. So, yeah, they, that's that's the group that has to bounce back. But it's like you said, I think – I trust Jack McNell Jr. He, he, is, he is doing the best that he can with a group that, look, they've got some guys that are experienced – but in terms of the overall talent, this is still not where you would want this to ultimately be uh, moving forward. So that that's an area that hopefully Carolina can improve. But just like the rest of the offense, the, Carolina needs these guys to recollect themselves. They need Drake May to recollect himself and be the guy that he has been all season. They need Josh Downs to be the guy that is a Bolitnikoff semifinalist and is widely regarded as one of, if not the best slot receiver in the entire country. They need this offensive line to respond and play up to the standard that they had played just in conference play before this. So I think that's important. Defensively, I mean, look, there's some things, there's some good things that you could take away from this game, but it, it, it was against an offense that struggled and it's also, you know, a, a group that didn't make the stops when they needed to. Um, you know, the defensive line, I thought, was pretty much a, a a perfect representation of what Carolina's defense was in this game. Majority of the first half, the defensive line looked pretty good. They were, now granted, it's a, it's a bad offensive line for Georgia Tech, but they were doing a good job of shedding blocks and making tackles. Um, the linebackers did a great job getting downhill and making plays in the backfield. But that defensive line, you saw some guys that were stepping up, primarily Kamen Rucker. And in the second half, they kind of disappeared. And you notice that with the defense as well. They started to struggle as a whole. And it just it continues to prove that Carolina's defensive line, it 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 care it carries everything for what this unit is going to be. And once again, I mean, look, no sacks on the quarterback. Part of that was the game plan for Georgia Tech. They just screamed the hell out of you, and you just could not tackle in the open field. We saw that earlier in the year, even against a team like Florida A&M, who ran very similar things. But the other part of it is that, look, Carolina has eight sacks in seven conference games this season. They allowed six sacks alone on the other side of the ball the other night. I mean, it's just, it is mind-blowing how, I, at this point, just bad 
Carolina's defensive line has been this season. As as much as I said about the offense being asked to go out there and win every game, I think we also got caught up in believing that this defense was going to make every play we needed them to make. And at some point, like I kept saying the last couple of weeks, this formula is not sustainable. At some point, they're not going to make the play or two. And that happened, that happened on Saturday night. You had a third and four that eventually became a third and nine because the crowd helped uh, create a false start. You still know they're going to run the ball, and you still know that you could stop them, call timeout, get Drake May the ball back with two minutes and a timeout to go win the ball game. Mm-hmm. And instead, you give up an 11-yard rush. That's, that's, that's inexplainable. That's inexcusable. That shouldn't happen at home to four and six Georgia Tech. I don't care that they gave up 21 points. I don't care that for the most part they did what they were supposed to do. If you can't stop a team on third and nine when you know that they're going to run the ball, you don't you don't deserve to win the game. And and that's what happened the other night. And I think, you know, it the the, the other night, as frustrating as it was. It just reiterates the changes that still need to be made for this program to get where it wants to get to. I don't know what else you can say that is positive about Tim Cross because his defensive line, when it was healthy, wasn't very good. I mean, he recruits well. That's that's what I got for you. And now that they're not healthy, he lacks the ability to make adjustments to – to, to to coach players up, and now your defensive line had nothing for one of the bottom-tier offensive lines, not just in the ACC, in all the college football. And it was it was frustrating. And, you know, I, I, thought, I thought Mac Brown said it best. He said, you know, all year long we've played quarters. We haven't played a complete game. Yeah. And so it was ironic that, in the game that Carolina's defense probably played the best outside of what it did against Virginia Tech, your offense did, didn't do its end. But when the game came back to where we need this defense to make a play to give us a chance to win, they weren't able to make the play. And it was it was, it was was equally frustrating as it was disappointing. Yeah, well, not, but not shocking. Not shocking with the defensive line that they, they struggled the way that they did. Um, I think it's just this simple. You know, when you combine what happened with the offense uh, with the fact that this team that had been so clutch defensively making the stops when you needed them to, the luck just ran out for this Carolina team. They had had it for most of the year. And and look, luck is a part of sports. I don't care about this stupid notion that uh, that that luck doesn't have anything to do with it or what. Look, man, and part of it is that you create your own luck. Carolina the other night did not get the luck that they had found in just about every other game. And look, really good teams, they get that luck throughout the season. And Carolina had been a a really good team. But the other night, it just, it didn't break their way. It just wasn't their night. And I mean, yeah, you mentioned it. The final drive, third and you you have the third and nine. They have another third down play where they could have gotten off the field. Third and four, they let them get six. It was multiple times that they could have gotten off gotten off the field. 
And I mean, just go back to the previous week. You had trouble stopping Wake Forest on fourth down, but in the fourth quarter, you you create two turnovers on downs because you make those stops. You didn't do that in this game. When you're really that this this offense needed you to help them out, and you couldn't get it done. And you're right, Mac Brown is is spot on. And I thought, by the way, we we were so critical of Mac Brown after his press conference against Notre Dame because really it was just focused on crediting Notre Dame and saying that this team was heading in the right direction. And look, we look we we somewhat look like idiots because this team still won nine games, but. I thought the other night he nailed it. There were no excuses. He said, look, we we came out and we didn't have these guys prepared. We had an uncharacteristic night. And yeah, he 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 held his team accountable by saying, look, we just can't play a complete game. We haven't done it all year. And he's right about that. So I I mean, I think he's, you know, he he did a good job in the press conference, and he and he's saying what I think we were all thinking. And look, he addressed something else that I think we were all thinking. Um, the referees were pathetic in this game, and you can say whatever you want that it's an excuse, and I'm not saying that's the reason that Carolina lost this game. This shouldn't have even been a game. Carolina should have dominated this game, but when it came to the calls that were crucial in this matchup, it, it it was a big part of why Carolina lost. Bryson Nesbitt's holding call, which Mac Brown said today in his press conference, they have turned into the league. There have only been a handful of plays that they have done that to this year. And this one, I, there there is not one that I would have ran to the league office quicker than this call. The holding call on Bryson Nesbitt is one of the worst calls I have ever seen in the history of sports. A guy getting pancaked into the ground gets called for holding a guy. At no point did he grab any part of the jersey. I mean, this was truly one of the worst calls that I have ever seen in any of my time watching sports. Not to mention... The pass interference penalty that wasn't called on DJ Jones. That one was closer. I get it, bang, bang, play. But I thought it was pretty obvious that the defender got there early. That would have eliminated the play, the, the fourth down play where Josh Downs drops the ball in the end zone. They would have been first and goal. And to me, I thought they got this call right. But on that final drive, one of those third down conversions, the one that I talked about, third and four, they get six yards on the pass to Hassan Hall, it looked like his foot was really close to being out of bounds. I thought he probably stayed in bounds, and even if he didn't, it was so close that they were going to stick with the call on the field. But I can't, to me, I cannot get over that call on Bryson Nesbitt. That completely changed the game because if that Play stands, a 68-yard touchdown. Carolina's up 10. It's the middle of the third quarter. At that point, you would feel at least that Carolina would have swung momentum back in their favor, and who knows how the game goes from there. I just, I'm not one that usually likes to sit and blame the referees, but that is a call that completely changed the direction of the game. Yeah, the, the officiating impact of the game did cost Carolina the game. 
what cost Carolina the game was that they weren't mentally tough to respond to a mis- uh, a, a, an, an official making a mistake. And that's when those in those situations, what you got to do, you got to battle through adversity that wasn't self-imposed, but it's there. And that's what that's what good football teams. That's what cha- that's what teams that compete to win championships. What we're what we're trying to be. That's what those type of teams do. And um, Mac Brown was right to voice his frustration because it was a bad call, but it happens. And you've you've got to find a way to 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 overcome that because it happens in every game and every sport. Every time two teams walk on the field, the officials are going to make a call. And it, it, it felt like to me that that was like the final nail in the coffin for the offense. When that when that flag got thrown and they had to walk it back, it was like all the air being let out, let it out of the balloon. It was like for some reason that was a hurdle that they could not get over the rest of the way. And so that's 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 got to be the challenge this week for this team is that, you know, this is going to happen again. It's going to happen on Friday. It's going to happen on Saturday where an official is going to make a bad call. You can't do nothing about it except respond. And hopefully the next time we're in that situation, we respond in a more positive way as opposed to letting it impact us and, and, and really impact the, the, the game in other ways that the officiating should have an impact on. I mean, look, I get what you're saying. It's it's rare. I mean, when was the last time that Carolina had a big play like that taken off the board because of a penalty? Like, and especially in a game where things were not going your way, and it could have swung – that there's no doubt that that would have swung that game. I, I get it. I get what you're saying. And that's something that hopefully they can use as a as a learning tool moving forward. At the same time, I mean, these refs deserve to be lambasted for that call. And the ACC refs as a whole, it's not just in the game that, that Carolina played the other night. The ACC refs as a whole have been absolutely terrible this year. It only gets worse and worse. Every single year it gets worse. And that play... I mean, that's that's one that if things do truly fall apart, you can look back on that play and, you know, in part the response to that play from the team and say that is one of the things that turned this season for Carolina. Now, here's the thing. I tweeted out after the game, and I still believe with what was on the line, with where Carolina was ranked, and with the team that they played on the other side, this is probably the worst loss that Carolina has had in the Mac Brown era. A lot of people brought up the loss to Virginia uh, in 1996, uh, heading into, of course, the or in 1997, excuse me, heading into uh, what looked like could have been a Sugar Bowl berth. Um, but I just, I, th- this one... No, nobody saw this one coming. I get that it really ultimately will not have an effect on the season if they go on to win the last two, but this was a game that you should have absolutely destroyed your opponent in. You were favored by 21 and a half points and you lost. To me, it's 
it's hard to find an, another one that that compares to this one. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely up there, especially for us in terms of watching Carolina football, because now the trust isn't there with this team entering Friday, and then when you play Clemson in the ACC title game. I mean, Friday's a game you should win. State's in a situation where they're beat to hell, um, but they're also going to be looking for a way to salvage their season. We know they're their Super Bowl. It's not going to be as easy as we probably thought it was going to be to expect this to go in there and win. We thought we could compete with Clemson. Some people thought we could beat Clemson. I, for one, not one of those people. Now, where are you at when it comes to that? You probably don't think this team can, can, can beat Clemson because you can't beat Georgia Tech at home. And so it, it, it it's really, you, you know, the only way this becomes a, a, a big negative negative is if, you know, you lose Friday, you lose your, your, your conference title game, you lose your bowl game, you go nine and five. You win Saturday, you compete in, in the ACC title game, you win your bowl game. And you come out of this eleven and three, you're gonna, you know, with the expectation during the season, which was maybe win seven games, eight at the most. Then it's, you know, th- this will just be a blip on the radar. But in the moment, probably the worst loss of Mac Brown 2.0. It felt a lot like when when Larry Fedora lost at Duke in 2016. Although that Duke team was a bowl team. Um, and was in at the time the thick of things for the ACC Coastal. This Georgia Tech game was not, or this Georgia Tech team was not, but uh, it de- definitely a a head scratching loss and one that many Tar Heel football fans have had to endure over the last you know twenty thirty hell let's call it forty years. Well, it, it, to me, it felt like a game from last year. It felt like the Florida State game. That was a game. Remember, they got out. They got up 10 nothing, and Florida State punched them in the mouth, and they never responded. It wasn't a great day offensively for Florida State, but Carolina's offense couldn't really do anything the rest of the day. And as a result, they lost the game to a team that would not make a bowl game. Or no, did, did Florida State make a bowl game last year? If they did, they were like they were six and six. They were not a good football team a year ago. And this one feels very similar. So, and with with where you were at, that's what it was. You were, I mean, look, I know there were some people, and and, and you were one of them, that was still very, that that was concerned with what you saw from this team. So I don't know if you would say that the fan base was on cloud nine, but the fan base was feeling pretty good about just how special of a season this could be. And look, there was a legitimate reason to think that, hey, Carolina could go in there and not only compete with Clemson, but beat them because of the offense that we had seen so far this year and because of the play of Drake May. And that's what I think is so dejecting about the other night. Now, the other part of this question is, do you think that this loss kind of undercuts everything that Carolina has done this year? you got to feel like it puts a pretty significant dent in the progress because, I mean, look, they 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 did what they had to do on the road. And, and, and winning on the road is something that this team had struggled with under Mac Brown. This program really in general had struggled with for a while. But now the concern has to be is, look, you haven't exactly played outstanding – 
at home so far this season. The Notre, the Notre Dame loss does not look anywhere near as bad as it did at the time. But this is a bad loss at home. And it's now two years in a row where you've had a game like this. The Florida State game that I mentioned was the one last year. And now you've got this game at home this year. And you wonder, look, that's this is this was a place that was a fortress for Carolina the first two years that Carolina that Mac Brown was the head coach in his second tenure. But now it's seeming like teams aren't going to be as afraid to come in here and play Carolina because they sleepwalk through some of these games at home. Does this kind of undercut the season that Carolina has had to this point, or are you not there? I think it depends on what happens Friday. Because I mean, Friday is yeah, you know, it's 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 an it's an important game. You look at the way you lost last year, um, in inexplic in inexplicable fashion, um, against a team that we hate the most, and against a team that wants nothing more than to beat us. And as I just said a few minutes ago, for what's been a lost season for them, kind of like last year was for us, a way to salvage it would be to beat us. So I think if Carolina comes out and they respond and they beat NC State at home and you get that double-digit win plateau and you go to Charlotte and you, you at least compete for 60 minutes, then no, I, I I don't think it does. But if this if this derails what you've done at this point, I think what it would do was just further confirm what I thought about this team was that they were, they were a team with an inflated record because you have a great quarterback and that – you know they weren't playing with a with a winning formula. It would also show a lack of mental toughness that this team doesn't have, and a mental fortitude to respond to adversity, which is what sports is all about. So no, I mean right now, does this loss sting? And are we as Tar Heel fans going to be mad about it? Yeah, I mean they effectively ruined my Thanksgiving holiday, my favorite day of the year. Wow! But if they come back and and they respond the way that. They're capable of because they've got a leader like Drake May. You've got, you know, some some special offensive players. Then no, it 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 doesn't. But I think it's something that we we have to wait and see because they had a chance to really write the you know one of the final sentences on on the chapter of twenty two with the win on Saturday to cement you know a double digit win season. Now there's a lot of things left open in the air as we wind down the end of the regular season and get ready for the ACC title game to where we still feel better about this direction of the program under Mac Brown, which was something we didn't know where we we stood entering the year. But if this thing spirals out of control, there could be a lot a lot more questions that persist about Carolina football than we would have thought before 530 last Saturday. Yeah, I, I think that's that's how I'm looking at it, too. Um, I think if you're talking about just sitting in the moment right now, does this kind of undercut what they've done to this point? Yes. I think to a certain extent it does. Because, I, I mean, the best team that you've beaten is probably either Duke or Pittsburgh. So... I mean, look, it's been a good season, and 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 they've accomplished one of their goals of winning the Coastal. But this was, in terms of where the season was heading, I think that's what it is more than anything. It undercuts the fact that this was heading towards being a special season. This was heading towards being even a step above what the team did 
in 2020. We're now, I mean, depending on how it works out, you're, pro you're probably back to a similar spot that you were after the 2020 season. And look, that's not a bad thing. That's a group that that's that is much better than where they were a year ago. And it's a good job by Mac Brown and his staff. But I think you're right. If Carolina wins on Friday against NC State, I think there is a good chance that 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 pretty much will wipe. I'm not going to say completely wipe away the memories, but it will it will definitely soften the blow from this loss. And I, I think especially if they go in and win the ACC championship, then, yeah, we won't be talking about this really at all. Because then you go to back-to-back -back Orange Bowls, this one a much tougher path to get there because you would have to win the conference championship. Then, yeah, we're, we're not talking really about that. Um, we're, we're talking about it next season when you're in the middle of the year and you're saying, look, we've got to avoid this one game that we always seem to lose. But outside of that, you won't be talking about it. But it really depends, I think, more than anything on what they do Friday night. You cannot let this game beat you twice. Well, guys, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we have an injury update on two guys that missed the game the other night against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Will they be back for the game against NC State? And also, we have Lane Kiffin news at Ole Miss. Could this affect Phil Longo? We'll tell you about that when we come back on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast, back right after this. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. The stakes are high and the tension is higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks and you watch as the ball lands. Make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Maybe you want to bet on one of your favorite Tario players. Maybe you like Michael Carter and his matchup for the Jets that week. Or maybe you want to bet on the total number of tackles that Cole Holcomb will have in a game. You can do all that on DraftKings Sportsbook. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubbard two for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe, with you. 
Well, two guys that did miss the game the other night. We talked a little bit about Antoine Green and how big it was not having him in the lineup the other night. John Copenhaver, the third-string tight end, also missed this game for the Tar Heels. Well, both of those guys did return to action. Mac Brown says they are uh, both back at practice in full, it appears. And the belief is that both of those guys will be available for the game against NC State. That is big. Carolina uh, will need Antoine Green to be the guy that we've seen him be at times this season that can take over games uh, against NC State and against the defense that has been really stingy so far this year. Carolina's offense will need to look to part, so having him back will be a big help. And John Copenhaver, a guy that has developed into a really good blocker, has become a, a guy that can be a weapon down near the goal line and has made some big plays throughout the year. Uh, having him back in the lineup will be helpful as well. Uh, I did also mention, now this situation is very, very weird. Um, it, it's kind of hard to get a read on exactly where it is, but I, I feel like we're always kind of in this spot with Lane Kiffin uh, just in general. Earlier tonight, John uh, Sokolov, who covers both Mississippi and Mississippi State for WCBI News, uh, which is in Northeast Mississippi, uh, put out a tweet basically saying that Lane Kiffin will resign after this week. Um, they, he will basically coach on Thursday against Mississippi State, and that will be his final game at Ole Miss before he heads to take the head coaching job at Auburn. Now, this is not the most outlandish thing. We've kind of heard some rumblings that this could be on the horizon, Lane has not exactly denied any of this, although it hasn't been brought up to him in any press conference that I know of. Um, but also, you've started to see some signs of him starting to show some discontent with his fan base, uh, with the team as a whole. Um, signs that we've seen before from him. But uh, he comes out then later on this evening and basically says that it pr pretty much does a copy and paste version of uh, Sokolov's uh, uh, tweet, uh, right, types it out, uh, and actually prints it out and then posts a picture of it, uh, basically saying the same thing about Sokolov leaving for another news station, basically just trying to respond in the way that Lane Kiffin responds uh, to these types of messages from the media. Now, look, I don't know ultimately what ends up happening wouldn't shock me either way what happens here because Lane Kiffin's about as unpredictable as it gets when it comes to college football coaches but the thing is is that if the Ole Miss job opens it's a pretty it's a pretty good job the thing though is is Phil Longo has ties there Phil Longo is a guy that a lot of people throughout college football respect as a really good offensive mind. And we've seen that at both levels of college football, good young offensive minds will get opportunities to be head coaches before just about anybody else. If they're looking for an up and comer, I don't know if Ole Miss would be, if they'd be looking for someone that's a recycled coach, whatever. But do you think that this would be something that Carolina fans should be concerned about from a Phil Longo perspective. No. No, no, no chance. 
Phil Longo has been an offensive coordinator in the Power Five level for what? Less than a decade? The SEC, as we have seen, is a different beast. They are a different animal. Um, the SEC has run, is going to run Jimbo Fisher, a guy who's a, still a really good college football coach out of the conference. Because what you got to do in, the, in, in, in that conference, especially when you coach in the SEC West, is it's really hard to ask. And so if, if Ole Miss is hiring Phil Longo as their, as their head coach, that's because every reasonable candidate has told them no. And I do feel like if, if Lane does leave for Auburn, and as much as I love Ole Miss being good, him and him on the plains with Saban at Alabama is enticing. The first person that Ole Miss will call and offer them the bag would be Deion Sanders because they have that type of cachet to go back out and make another splash higher. I think Phil Longo also knows and looks at what he has in front of him. He has a chance to coach Drake May again next year. With Jay Bateman no longer on the staff, We there, there could be a scenario where Phil Longo is going to be groomed by Mac Brown to be the head football coach at Carolina mm-hmm. whenever he steps down. Man, look, Carolina is not, a, not, a, not as good a job as Ole Miss. But it's a job that there's more investment in from the boosters and the and the athletic department. The fan base has showing a desire to support a football program that ultimately over the last four years hasn't won a whole lot of anything. So there's still reasons to still want to stay in Chapel Hill. So I I I don't see that becoming an issue unless, you know, you're talking I mean, 10 to 15 candidates tell Ole Miss, no thanks. I mean, look, I I don't think you can completely downplay the fact that he was there during one of their most successful times as as the OC. I think that has to be taken into account. Um, But, yeah, I'd agree with you. I think that is a really, really significant step up for him. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting is look, a guy that is having success in the SEC West, and I know things haven't gone the way that we thought they were going to go for him this year, but a lot of it is because of the injuries that his team has had a quarterback. Man, I don't think any of us thought Sam Pittman was going to be this good of a head coach. Now, the thing with Sam Pittman is he's a guy that has been in the SEC for years on top of years. So he is an SEC guy through and through. Not saying Phil Longo isn't an SEC guy. He's been there before. He knows what it takes to win in that conference. But, yeah, I I think that's a pretty significant step up. It's definitely noteworthy, and I think it's something that if his name was to show up at some point in the process, it wouldn't be all that shocking because as we, you know, as we've talked about, you know, kind of off the air, this is not exactly the greatest cycle for coaching prospects and for Ole Miss one of the best guys that you look at from the FCS uh from the FCS from the uh from the group of five level is Hugh Freeze they're not rehiring him that is absolutely not happening I can guarantee that will not happen so there aren't a ton of candidates out there but I think you're right I think it would probably be somebody like like a Deion Sanders, I could see Willie Fritz from Tulane being a guy that could get a look. 
But it would not shock me if he is a guy that shows up on some of these lists that are put out by some writers. And again, he'll probably be pretty far down there. But yeah, ultimately, I think if you're concerned about him leaving, it's probably for the head coaching job of a team that of, of a team that loses a coach to one of these other hires. Um, it's it, he's a guy we're going to have to keep an eye on throughout the off season. Uh, but yeah, Ole Miss probably too big of a step up for him. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast, guys. Make sure you head over to the website heeltuplog.com. We got you covered on everything from the Georgia Tech game. Uh, we've got my recap up, Ashton's analysis up. Background spoke to the media today, so we'll have those press conference takeaways for you guys. And we'll also have a stock report midweek to kind of tell you where things are at as Carolina now heads into that huge matchup with NC State. Carolina trying to get to that double-digit win mark and hoping to do it while enacting some revenge against a team last year uh, that beat them in just one of the most cruel fashions uh, for Carolina fans. Uh, so they, we Carolina hopes to respond and get that key win. We'll have you covered on that front as well. I'll have the preview for you. And then, of course, we'll run through all of our big recap stuff uh, once uh, that game is over. And then, of course, one more week. After that, Carolina in the ACC championship game before they then find out where they will play in their bowl game. Hey, I can't believe we're here already, guys. Three games remaining in the season for Toriel football, and let's see how they respond to that loss. We'll have it for you on the website. Meanwhile, Carolina basketball, they picked up their biggest win of the season to this point, easily their most complete performance against James Madison. I had the recap for you guys on that front, so make sure you go and check that out. And then Josh is going to have you covered when it comes to the PK-85 tournament, a huge tournament for Carolina. They go out to Portland. They start with Portland. Uh, and then after that, some stiff tests that could uh, lay on the horizon. This is going to be a week that shows us uh, – a weekend that shows us a lot about Carolina before they then, of course, get ready to head out and play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge in Bloomington against Indiana. So some big games coming up for the Tar Heels. Make sure you're following everything on HeelToughBlog.com. So once again, that wraps up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.